Good afternoon and welcome back to the SCTE podcast series. It's, it's really good to be with you today and I've got some lovely guests with me as well. I'd like to um, introduce um, Consof to our podcast series. We've got uh, Raf Meersman, who's the Chief Executive Officer at Consof, who are based in Ghent in Belgium. They are very supportive corporate members of the SCTE and we th could think of no way better than to um, celebrate some quite exciting news they have and to have them on the podcast and hear um, a bit more about what those developments are. Um, I also have Tony Basham, who's our president at the SCTE with us. So um, I will hand over to Tony just to say hello. Hello. I just have to say what I have to say. Thanks for this, Melissa, and thanks for setting it up, because this is really where the industry is changing, and we're we're feeling the movement all the way through this. If you look at how many fibre to the home is going out there at the moment, the deployments are getting massive. So having this behind you makes it a lot easier to go into a bigger network. Um, as we look at it now, the UK, Germany, Switzerland, Austria... Poland, Norway, Sweden, Denmark are all building FTTH. And that's just the ones I've got off the top of my head. So this is a really important place to go. It certainly is. And um, I think it's actually really interesting to hear uh, from Comsoft who've seen all these transitions from, from quite a long time. We've had 24 years the company's been been around. And, and Raf, you've been with the company almost since the beginning. Is that right? Yes, yes, um, indeed. And and by the way, thanks for uh, giving us the opportunity here today in the podcast to talk a little bit more about that. But yes, on, on a, as a company, we've been uh, active in uh, software for planning of fiber networks since the late 90s. Uh, of course, at that stage, the, the big fiber deployments were more in the backbone of the network. So that was our first focus. But actually since 2000, I think 2004, we um, focused on real fiber for the last mile uh, and, and with a lot of variation in the beginning uh, with, with uh, DSL uh, stuff. And, and, uh, but, but very quickly we saw the opportunity uh, that fiber to the home was, was the technology for the future. And yeah, look, uh, 15 years later, we're in, in um, peak of fiber deployments in, in the whole of Europe. So uh, exciting times and especially looking back, yeah, great evolution that's been going on. Well, that's, that's fascinating. I'm, I'm delighted you're doing so well, Raf. I'm just curious with you've all this experience and, and the developments and changes in the industry over the last 24 years, how did you get started in this? How did, you, how did it all mm -hmm. come about? Uh, yeah, so for me personally, I uh, had the luck to do directly after graduating as an engineer at the University of Ghent to get the opportunity to start as a software developer. This is 99 uh, that I'm talking about at Comsoft, which was actually just founded five, six months earlier. And I was the fifth uh, employee to join the company. Wow. And like I said, I was... I was joining the team to develop uh, uh, software for planning of, of fiber networks. And um, long story short, I, I within the company got a lot of chances to grow myself uh, into different roles, heading the R&D department. And ultimately, actually, in 2012, I became CEO and shareholder uh, in the company. Um, and uh, from there on, 
yeah, I could really also drive the, the growth along with the market of, of fiber to the home uh, growth uh, into the, the company we are today, which is uh, yeah, 60 people uh, spread over two offices in, in Toronto and Ghent. Amazing. And yeah, and, and actually we have big news now that just been out um, as a company because we've had a, we, are, we have been acquired uh, just about a week or two weeks ago um, by IQ Geo. And this is really exciting news because uh, we have a great uh, match in terms of technology stacks. Uh, we are on the auto design side. They are more on the GIS, mobile um, and inventory side of, of the solution. So we, we already were partnering and cooperating before for a couple of, of joint customers. Uh, and there's also a great geographical match because Comsop has been, of course, uh, headquartered in Ghent uh, with a strong uh, footprint in Europe, uh, whereas IQGO has a strong, uh, let's say, natural footprint more in, in North America. And so also there we can strengthen each other's uh, offerings and, and solutions to the market. So exciting times. Oh, congratulations. That's brilliant news. You must be delighted. Yeah. Congratulations where that is. And this is the way everything seems to be going. We're getting more and more in this. So if we come a little bit back to Comsoft, why Comsoft? What are they at to FTTH? Well, when we were designing software, our vision was that um, there's this trend in general in the market where data, um, GIS data or other data, becomes much more important and true good data. If you apply artificial intelligence to that, you can do amazing things. And of course that reflects in so many sides of our general lives today, but 15, 20 years ago, um, looking at the niche in essence that fiber to the home network planning or design was, uh, we really thought, okay, this is something where with the expertise we have into algorithms and into uh, modeling networks, uh, something where we could make a difference. And so uh, the fiber to the home, we could have applied it maybe to even other things, but uh, we focused on fiber to the home because we really believe this was like a once in a lifetime, um, uh, like new infrastructure that was going to be rolled out. You had this whole time that copper and coax was kind of uh, there and, and you could always squeeze more out of it, but we really anticipated this this great yeah change of infrastructure and, and massive rollout. And then we saw the opportunity to automate um, this process and optimize this process to also make sure that these uh, rollouts go smoothly. And, and this, this whole situation we're in now is one where you have these highly skilled labor jobs to, to engineer and plan these networks, but you have just too little people with the knowledge and through uh, a smart software, we can really make those processes much more efficient and, and get to the volumes we need um, to support the, the ambitions of all the operators in, in Europe and, and in the world. Um, yeah. So this is where using this, the algorithms and all this, this gives you the auto design. So that you mentioned before, having auto design, will you ever be able to replace an engineer in the field? That's a very good question. And, and it's, we have a very uh, strong opinion there that it's not about replacing the people. It's about making them uh, more efficient and better. And if you look at, a lot of our customers and we talk to them, um, 
it's not about them reducing their teams. It's about making better networks through a better process, a more efficient process. One concrete example, if you used to plan a network manually and you would be looking at a city and you would decide how the fiber to the home network should look like, you would start maybe in a corner of the area and start drawing and deciding how your network would be built up. And in the end, you would have one network design, how to build the network, but you would have no clue whether that would be actually an efficient way to build and construct the network. Thanks to our algorithms, now somebody can actually kind of play around with certain choices and very quickly in an interactive way, create 10 different scenarios of what a topology could look like and make a selection. And it's not always about the cheapest network, but also about the most future-proof network. Because of course, there's also this whole thing about yeah, fiber to the home, but, but you will also need fiber to the small cell for 5G. You will need fiber for businesses with a lot of more capacity and maybe uh, protection in the network. So um, building a good network is about being able to anticipate and see what is the best balance uh, between all the different options you have. And that's where our software can really help to improve the quality. That this must have changed. I mean, things have been going, you've had 14 years in this. Have things changed for the better? So it's improving with all of this? Or where is it going? Um, absolutely, it changed a lot. Um, it, it changed on, on different sides. I would say when I started being really more active in the fiber to the home market, the first five to 10 years was a lot of, of convincing people of uh, first that fiber to the home was the technology. There was still a lot of debate whether it was needed, whether it was not too expensive and that kind of thing. And if you look at it now, that has completely changed. And now everybody's doing it. Everybody's convinced that this is the infrastructure of the future. And, uh, and, and that's, uh, that's there. That's a nice yeah, market evolution. Um, but specifically about the design, we've seen that evolution as well from a very manual process to this automation. And I would say one of the key things that I've seen changing there apart from our software and, and capabilities is also the availability of data uh, because um, yeah, this whole auto design smart thing does also rely on good data. Garbage in is garbage out. And over the past 15 years, we've also seen an, an interesting trend that the quality of input data has been improving a lot. There's a lot of new technologies, uh, also a lot with yeah, machine learning and artificial intelligence to automatically start gathering good geographical input data. And that has also been a great uh, yeah, change overall. That, that has been a great uh, positive impact on, on the overall projects. You must also have seen some of these projects. I mean, they've started in the big cities. That's the easy way to get down a road, get people connected. The other yeah. side of the coin is, what do you do with those that are spread wide apart? So the rural deployments, how do you get those to fit into this? Because they're all different. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, that is indeed also a, a good uh, view on, on the market trends. If, if you look at the statistics, more or less, it's logical indeed people start in the big cities, high density, uh, because of yeah, you're sharing that high cost of trenching or, or the infrastructure uh, between a lot of 
of homes and users on a small area. So overall per home, you get to a lot lower costs. Uh, whereas in, in rural areas, it, it, the, the, the distances are going up massively um, and hence also the, the cost. Uh, but um, so if you look at the statistics, for example, to give you an idea, I don't know if you know the numbers, but uh, end of 2021, um, the FTTH Council reported about 50% uh, of European households being um, covered by an FTTH uh, network. But if you look at the rural, only 30% in Europe has that. So clearly you see the rural areas are yeah, uh, being um, underserved and, and are behind. So yes, every year, if you would look at the statistics, the portion of uh, still to be deployed fiber networks um, is is in increasing from from the percentage that is in, on the rural side, um, and and that has been uh, that's that's now important that we look also how to design, build, and and operate those networks in those areas in a in an economically viable way because in the end, yeah, that's what what it, what it matters all about. It's it's making sure that it's the, there's a good business case and, and business plan behind that. How can this actually help them and give them sort of opportunities in rural areas? Is there a, a Comsoft way of doing it that can add opportunity to these rural areas? Yeah, we, we've actually have done several studies uh, for, for customers and for partners where um, looking at the rural side, we actually saw that there are opportunities and there are cases, uh, very interesting cases, where you could see despite the original setting that is introducing higher costs that that the opportunities can exist a few examples maybe uh, on the one hand what with our software is also a, a nice um, offering is that like you earlier said rural areas it's kind of a, a denominator for a, a wide variety of types of areas within a rural area you can have still some level of concentration. If it's a small town with a few hundred homes, but that in itself are close together, that's a completely different situation than if you have really a farm that is in the middle of nowhere, which is, is a completely different um, dynamic in terms of cost and, and deploying. So what we are able to do is, is to automatically evaluate uh, what the cost of a rural area, how it is, uh, changing in, in different parts of the rural areas so that you can still isolate and identify the areas which are um, more feasible from a cost perspective. Um, but uh, on, the, on the other hand, there's also a lot of interesting things you could do on optimizing the design rules or the engineering rules, depending on the type of rural area. And uh, there's, there's obviously also a lot of areas rural in rural parts of Europe where, for example, aerial cables, so spanning cables between poles, uh, can be a way of reducing the, the cost of deployment, uh, avoiding the trenching. Um, but then, for example, you can save a lot of costs by using technologies where you try to minimize the fiber count because the cables are becoming an important part and you don't want to bring too heavy, too, too much fibers over long distances. So you can then try to play with split ratios and with new technologies to try and reduce the fiber count along the routes. And that way drastically also reduce the cost of the overall fiber building in rural areas. Uh, another big 
big advantage sometimes an opportunity in rural is not so much on on the design side but it's on the uh, adoption side if in a rural area people don't have a, a, a very clear or quality alternative for a fiber connection and they're relying on an old um, yeah, DSL line with, with long distances, um, you, you also see higher adoption rates. And of course, that is also something that can just turn around the whole business case for a rural area. Well, this is something we're also seeing that there's a lot of areas where governments, local councils are actually going in to promote this. Is there a way they can actually add to this and sort of build on where this divide is happening? As you say, 50% and 30%. So in a rural area, it's only 30%. Is there some way government can build this up and help? It's an interesting question. And uh, I think that there's no, um, uh, let's say I'm not a big fan of relying this or, or thinking the government is going to solve this uh, by itself. But I, of course, governments are a very important uh, player in the ecosystem and, and do have a role that they can play. I think what, what they can really do that can impact um, the, the rollout of, of rural areas um, is to make permitting and, and support operators really in uh, an efficient and smooth process of, of going out and, and uh, deploying those fibers. That is, I think, one thing that governments in general should pay attention to. I've seen cases where they, there's kind of this um, traditional permitting um, processes in place that are not foreseen for such a massive national rollout. And that is just taking way too much time to go through permittings and, and introducing delays uh, and introducing extra costs. And I think that's an easy thing that government should do anyway. Whether they should also put money into the network um, I think for some areas that may be needed. Uh, but as I said before, um, I think in if you're creative and if you really look at the circumstances, I'm convinced that a, a significant part of rural areas could also be made feasible uh, for, for to be done with private money or at least maybe with uh, a public-private um, cooperation. And I think we also see more and more of those examples popping up in the market that, that can work. Sounds really good. If you think about sort of the, the recent projects you've had, are there any new sort of lessons coming out of this or lessons learned from previous that you can use going forwards? Um, yeah, uh, I think there is indeed a lot of, of um, knowledge sharing and, and best practices that are uh, more and more finding their way. I see, for example, also a lot of um, interesting things. Looking at, for example, the uh, the UK market and the German market, I think those are still uh, in, in relative early stage. And then if you look at markets like France or Spain, uh, they have already been also into rural areas, done a, a lot of, of good work and uh, have already accomplished a lot. So I think there's definitely uh, this interesting... Um, yeah, opportunity to share experiences between countries. And I think uh, organizations like SCPE and the FTDH Council are really well-placed to bring parties together who have maybe done similar things and exchange, um, exchange information. You're on the FTDH Council, aren't you? 
Uh, yes, I am actually. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. on the board of the FTH Council now since uh, a little bit more than two years. So that's been an interesting journey as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I was curious to see because the, the the differences between these territories must be vast, and you must have to be really agile as a company to react to changes on the ground and at government level. And I mean, even just down to the, the sheer logistics of it, must be eye-watering. I can't even imagine how you do it across all those countries, and you have offices in Toronto as well. I mean, how do you get around all of that? How does that? Do you have local expertise, consultants on the ground? Is that how you do it? Um. To a large extent, yes, we work with a lot of partners that are known to the local market and that can help us with the local um, local circumstances, the local conditions. And and it's absolutely true. You you come, you may think of, for example, Europe as, as one country, uh, but then you get a lot of surprises. Uh, yeah. The, the, yeah. The the rules, the way in Germany. There's a lot of things that need to go underground and it's very expensive because they also have very strict regulations on the depth and the restoring the, the footpath. If you then look at the Netherlands, they also do a lot of underground, but the, the soil is, is much uh, easier. It's more sand-based. So the costs are completely different, which again gives a completely different way of, of optimizing and building networks. And then if you look at the UK, there's a lot of aerial deployment still out there and, and you can reuse the poles and you have the, the famous PIA uh, uh, infrastructure from BT that can be reused both on a duct level and a pole level. So yeah, it, it is sometimes surprising how uh, different these deployments can be across countries. And then you mentioned to Toronto. So our office in Toronto is, is covering the North American market, but indeed also there the North American or the, the, the US itself for the fiber deployment is also uh, not one country. Yeah? Even there, you have a lot of, of differences in, in uh, circumstances, in regulation, in, uh, and in, in yeah, what, what you, you should do to build the best network. So it's a, it's a matter of um, yeah, understanding really from local parties what, what is key, what is allowed, what, what, uh, what are the uh, circumstances and, and inputs that you need to, to take into account. And yeah, uh, I, uh, maybe one thing I can say why we are uh, strong in this uh, to adopt to every country. I think that's partly also because we are from Belgium. And I'm saying that because we're this tiny country in the middle of Europe. And we're just, yeah, for us as a company based in Belgium, we never focused on, okay, we're going to build a tool for the Belgian market because it's just too small. So we kind of looked from the beginning to be able to, to create a tool that would be applicable in a global world with, with different circumstances. So the flexibility was a key thing we built in to be able to adjust the local circumstances from the get-go instead of building a tool that is fit for one market and then trying to extend to other markets. That's much yeah. more difficult. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, did you see all this coming? It sounds like you asked about a crystal ball back then to anticipate <laughs> I think we were very lucky. <laughs> yeah, I think we were very lucky. I wouldn't uh, pretend to to have a crystal ball. Um, <laughs> now, uh, one of the things um, for the future that that we're also looking at, um, in fact, and that doesn't relate directly to this, but we uh, also want to now expand into uh, the 
infrastructure rollouts in, in the context of energy transition. Um, and there is also a component of that, by the way, in, in of course, telecom networks, where this green, uh, in this, a green uh, industry and environments are, are becoming more and more important. That's, we're also lucky there, fiber to the home is a very uh, green and, and uh, climate friendly technology. If you look at uh, the consumption of energy and, and those things. Um, but we are, as a company, now also preparing the next step for us, uh, which is next to continuing on fiber, is to also uh, build solutions to help um, the energy market transition into the new circumstances and the new challenges around electricity with, with the whole yeah, uh, changes around electrical vehicles and stuff. Uh, which is really also a very interesting problem and uh, which is our next let's say challenge to uh, to try and and be there in 10 15 years maybe wow good for you that's uh, yeah why you still got that crystal ball out um <laughs> you say you don't have one but i don't really believe it <laughs> uh, luck is not everything here looking at these rural europe looking around rural europe when will and there's two parts to this when will rural europe be up to the same level as urban with regards to FTTH connections? And when will it be fully connected? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it, I'll, I'll take my crystal ball, but I don't take uh, guarantees on, on the correctness of the answer. But I'm, I'm convinced from what I've been seeing that that's happening, that the, uh, the opportunities and, and the business case, so to say, for the rural part um, is becoming more and more interesting and is becoming, uh, uh, will, will continue to grow, uh, of course, and, and that will be um, yeah, in line with, with the fact that for the more dense areas, we'll start to see uh, some operators take the UK. There's a lot of, of land grab. At some point, we'll get into the, the situation where operators will look at, okay, I could overbuild in a dense area for my next uh, expansion, or I could go to this rural area where I'm the first and given the, the evolution in, in technology. And I believe very strongly that in that case, the rural will also become uh, yeah, a, a major focus over the coming years. So when it will catch up, I think it's going to take uh, probably another more than five years, seven, eight to maybe even 10 years. But I do believe that the gap will gradually start becoming rather um, smaller than, than still increase a lot given the circumstances. Great answer. So when will the whole of Europe be connected? Everywhere. Come oh, on, Crystal Bull needs to work overtime now. <laughs> um, 10 years. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's uh, ambitious, I think, because there, there will always be some areas, but uh, looking at the, uh, the trend in the market, yeah, I, I, I think one of the, the 10 years uh, is ambitious to, to cover the whole of Europe. But to be honest, my personal belief is that the, the major challenge to get there will be um, the, the skilled and, and right labor resources and, and the materials to put it all in and not the, for example, the money and, and the, uh, the, the appetite for the investment and the rollout itself. But, but really it's, it's a battle for resources to be able to get to the, to the desired speed of, of rollout. 
that's really interesting. Trading is something that comes up again and again all the time <laughs> having these conversations. Yeah. So let's um, see how that, that develops. I've just, I've just realised we, we're kind of out of time, <laughs> aren't mm-hmm. we? So um, I just want to say thank you so much. I, that's been really, really interesting. Uh, I don't have any more questions. Do you, Tony? No, I'm there where I've had nearly everything through. I've actually been on a crystal ball as well. So that's been <laughs> really interesting. Thanks for that, Raf. It's, it's an insight to see sort of where things are going and how you're helping to de-skill this place where training is becoming so difficult and having skilled labour. So excellent. Yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. And congratulations again. Delighted for your news. So that's, that's great news. Um, just one other thing. We're... we're um, we have our autumn lecture on October the 13th and Raphael, I believe you've agreed to be a speaker. So we're looking forward to, to having you with us at the National Motorcycle Museum in Birmingham on October the 13th. And uh, so we'll wrap this up and you'll be able to find this on our Spotify channel along with our other podcasts. So thank you very much for listening and uh, we'll speak to you again soon. Take care. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.